Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911, two man car, Jess Romero, Paul Clay. We are in the month of August where we honor and devote ourselves to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. This this devotion has received new emphasis in this century from the visions given to Sister Lucy dos Santos. She's the oldest of the visionaries of Fatima. She received these visions from her convent in Tui, Spain, back in 1925 and 1926. One of the things about uh, the month of, of August, devoting ourselves to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, uh, we've seen... Uh, in, in the visions of Our Lady of Fatima, she asked also for the practice of the five first Saturdays to help make amends for the offenses committed against her heart, her immaculate heart, by the blasphemies and ingratitude of men. And uh, <clears throat> there's also a parallel practice. It's called the devotion of the nine first Fridays in honor of the sacred heart of Jesus. Before we get started on today's topics, I want to mention that something happened yesterday which... Uh, is one of the worst things that could ever happen to a country. Yep. Uh, you had the FBI raiding former President Donald Trump's house in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, so you have a sitting president that authorized this, the raid of, a, of his predecessor. This sets bad precedent. This is taking us back, Paul, back to the Civil War. Uh, this is one of the, the worst things that could have happened in our country. And as Catholics... This is why we got to pray for our nation. We got to pray uh, for the social kingship of Christ, as Pope Saint yes. Pius X taught us. Yes. The only thing that could save America is the social kingship of Christ. That Amen. Jesus Christ would become, uh, would become Lord and Savior and King of every human heart and every nation. Apart from that, uh, this nation is going to continue unraveling into a third world banana republic. Paul. Yeah, Jess. Listen. You bring a smile on my face when I hear you talk like that, because that is the absolute truth, right? It doesn't happen without Christ. Christ reigns. Uh, specifically, also, we need to pray for Donald Trump, Donald J. Trump, because, uh, you know, what's happening to him is is clearly uh, political, and uh, it, it just brings to light the battle that we're in right now. Uh, the battle, not only for our country, because this is happening worldwide. This is a this is a, a battle, a culture war going on. And so, um, uh, yeah, Jess, uh, uh, we need to keep him in prayer. Absolutely. We'll pray a Hail Mary for Donald Trump right now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace. Full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Pray for Donald Trump now and at the hour of his death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Paul, we just so I want to jump into something that brought you back home to the Catholic faith. It's the Church Fathers. Yes. And so, every single Protestant or or ex-Catholic that was you know became very literate in the Word of God and in Christianity. Every single one of them that comes back to the Catholic Church, not all of them come back, mm -hmm. but the ones that do, there's always a common bridge, and it's called the early church fathers. And it's when they start reading the early church fathers, they say, wait a minute, 
this is very Catholic here. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have another article here. It's by a Lutheran seminarian. And again, he writes about his journey of faith. He's, uh, his name is Russell Saltzman. He's, uh, he's, he's, written, he's written a book it's, uh, or, or several books. But the long and the short of it, here's what he says. And, we'll, and I want to get your feedback, Paul, because this directly impact, impacted you as well. Yes. He says, when I was a Lutheran seminarian, we rarely looked at the church fathers, almost never. So it was not surprising when a Lutheran bishop slated to preach on the feast of the Cappadocian fathers before a Lutheran gathering of pastors who had invited him opened his remarks saying he literally did not know who they were, but he'd make the best of it anyway. He should have read Rod Bennett's two books. Bennett had not yet had not yet uh, written them, um, but still, if any Protestant community should be reading the Church Fathers with a deference and appreciation, it is the Lutherans. The Lutheran defense for their reforms—the term "reform," of course, is disputed—was premised on their intention to restore the Church to her original simplicity. Mm. For every assertion made in the Augsburg Confession of 1530. They usually found and footnoted a church father who had their back, someone who believed who believed bolstered the very thing the reformers were saying. They argued that in their churches, they had made only such changes as to restore something even older now lost, or eliminate something that had crept in through the years that was not in any way sanctioned evangelically. To read the confession, so said Lutheran apologists, was to read in part a commentary on the early fathers. Well, here's something interesting. The argument made by the Lutherans is the same argument made, made by the post-Vatican II modernists. Mm-hmm. Both of them argue the same way. They're saying, we've got to go back to the early church because there's a lot of things that have crept in through the years that are not part of the early church. So yeah. Luther, Luther and the post-Vatican II modernists use the same argument against the Latin Mass. Yeah, yeah, and let's 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 get it straight, Jess. We know that when we read the early church fathers, we see the doctrines and teachings of the Catholic Church, but we see them in seminal form. We see them; they're in the development stages, but nonetheless, they are there and they are present. And so, the way doctrine is formed, as you know, uh, you know, as the church walks through history and matures, uh, uh, and 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 different ideas rise up, it's usually formed because uh, you know, in the form of a correction, or the church gets together and they meet and they have a, um, uh, an ecumenical council and they codify exactly this is exactly what we Christians believe, and uh, so 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 this, like you correctly pointed out, the modernists. What they want to do is erase all that firm uh, 2,000 years of Catholic teaching, Catholic doctrine, and they want to say, well, you know, it really doesn't say all of those things. Uh, Possibly even we want to change our view on uh, homosexuality because, you know, as the church developed and applied the, uh, the truth of sacred scripture and the fullness they developed, uh, you know, uh, certain truths. Now, no, homosexuality was never in question, but right. there are those we know that would try to sh- say that, no, that's not exactly what the Bible teaches, and this is what it really means. And so they want to erase away all of that, uh, that solid foundation that we as Catholics right. can draw from. Yep. 
Yep, the article says here, <clears throat> but if Lutherans are neglectful of the church fathers, and they are, lay Catholics <clears throat> in many ways probably match the Lutherans today. In other words, lay Catholics don't know the church fathers as well as the Protestants. We just don't know enough of our own church history and certainly know little, too little of the church fathers. The church fathers are that array of pastors, bishops, and theologians writing about the apostles, writing after the apostles, but before 325, the year the Nicene Creed was formulated. They are also known as the anti-Nicene fathers before the Nicene Council. Generally speaking, they are the second generation of Christians. Their writings can be accessed through a simple Google search, and their work is published in several collected volumes. Some of the fathers are very close in to the original witnesses. For example, Ignatius of Antioch was said to have been mentored by John the Apostle as a defense against those few contemporary outlier, outlier historians who made a career of questioning the historical existence of Jesus. I have yet to see even one of them deal with the historicity of actual witnesses as reported in history outside the Gospels. Paul, you want to pick it up from there? Yeah. What we read from the fathers is what the early church was saying about itself and how it came to terms with what had happened to Jesus and what it meant for the life of the world and how to say all that, how to say that in ways faithful to their memory of Christ. There were a thousand things they had to figure out, like inventing a vocabulary to describe who they were and what they did and how they went about doing it. By the close, by the close of the first century, they certainly knew they were a church and that it was Catholic. But to arrive at this, they first had to distinguish themselves from what they were not. They were not a Roman burial and funeral society. Such groups met periodically shared meals, administered internal discipline, and debated what to do with non-paying members uh, who renegated uh, uh, on their pledge to aid fellow, who reneged on their, pledge, uh, on their pledge to aid fellow society members in burial expenses, or how were Christians different from Roman supper clubs, for that matter. Tertullian, uh, and he's not in either book, and that's another story, yeah. preferred that Christians call themselves a collegium or simply association, even club would work. Tertullian wanted common words that were intelligible even to anyone not a Christian. When Pliny the Younger, governor of Bithynia, uh, which is basically uh, uh, Pontius modern Turkey, in 125 AD was confronted with a strange group of people who refused to give honor to the emperor Trajan. He did not he he didn't know who they were or what they did or what to do with them. They met, ate a meal, sang a few hymns to someone called Christ as God. He questioned some under torture, including a couple of women called deaconesses and gave the whole group of them three opportunities to disavow Christ. Those who refused were executed. These things had to be worked out. Jesus 911, we're talking about the early church fathers and the impact they have upon people that are searching for the, the one true church of Jesus Christ. We'll be right back and we've got other things to talk about. Also pray for Donald Trump. Pray for our president, pray for our nation. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, pray for our country and pray for former President Donald Trump for the injustice that occurred yesterday. Uh, and also pray for the conversion of Joe Biden. Joe Biden needs some serious uh, sanctifying grace in his soul. Joe Biden's Amen. a baptized Catholic, but but he uh, he comports just like a dictator. Paul, we're talking about the church fathers. Your comments? Yeah. Hey, you mentioned Joe Biden, Jess. What did we used to say when a, when, a, when a police officer does something that's really just a head scratcher? We'd say, man, this guy really tarnished the badge. The badge. <laughs> yep. Joe, if, if Joe Biden had a badge... That badge would. Uh, Man, that thing would be yeah. rusted. It'd be rusted, rusted out. There you go. Uh, in my humble opinion, uh, <laughs> listen, Jess. We're talking about the church fathers here and the importance of it, and the importance of knowing the church fathers. Because um, it, uh, I remember when I was on my journey. For those of you who don't know, I'm a revert back to the Catholic faith. Uh, I was a wayward Catholic who didn't know my faith who ended up going to uh, non-Catholic Christian churches. And eventually, uh, uh, through the grace of God and through love, I was brought back into the Catholic church. And Jesse was instrumental in, in, in that happening. And I remember we used, to get, we used to have conversation, and he'd say, Paul, every time we talk about um, church history, you stop at the Reformation. Uh, you know, you, you're quoting a lot of good reformational preachers and so forth, so-called reformational preachers, right? It was during the Protestant uh, revolt, really. Uh, but he said, have you ever studied uh, the church fathers and, 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 and not, you know, uh, reading books written by Protestants that try to quote and selectively quote and plug in uh, uh, quotes from the church fathers to try to... Uh, uh, back up their position, but to go back and look at, you know, the sources that we have and, and read exactly what they said and did. And as soon as I did that, I was like, whoa, these guys were Catholic because I recognized Catholic doctrine because, again, I, I started out in the Catholic Church, but it, it just amazed me on how Catholic they were. And so it really blew up this narrative that somehow, you know, the Catholic Church uh, took a hard left and 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 basically walked away from the truth. And of course, 1,500 years later, the Protestant Church had to, uh, you know, uh, rediscover the truth and bring us back. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. And um, you know, it's important to point that out. That number one, they start just from a false premise, and that false premise. You know, like you say, they 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 immediately say, oh, well, we you know, uh, we believe in the Bible alone. The Bible alone is, is, is what we recognize as authoritative. So if something is not found explicitly in the Bible, they outrightly reject it. Well, that's not uh, what the church did through history. And as you know, the church has two fonts from which it draws from. And one is sacred tradition. And the other one is sacred scripture. Comments, Jess. Paul, uh, you 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 have a, a a profound understanding of the church fathers and how they operate. And uh, this is this is a lacunae. This is a gap. This is a blind spot for a lot of Protestants because Protestants go from the New Testament to Martin Luther, and so there's about a one thousand five hundred seventeen years of a lacunae, a gap. <laughs> 
and they don't know what to deal with, they'll say something like, well, yeah, you know, there was evangelicals and fundamentalists throughout the centuries. They were just being persecuted by the institutional church. So they'll come up with some, you know, half-cocked lame arguments or lame alibis to try to say, yeah, we've been around evangelicals and fundamentalists, Protestants. We've been around all along. We've just kind of been in the shadows until Luther, uh, you know, he kind of... Uh, Gave us the tools to come out to come out from hiding and to fight back with sola scriptura and sola fide, but again, Paul, just you know, for example, I got these books here. Rod Bennett's two books. One of them is called Four Witnesses: The Early Church in Her Own Words and Four More Witnesses: Further Testimony from Christians Before Constantine. You get any book on the Church Fathers? I mean, I got several of them. You can't read them and and remain Protestant if you're open minded. Mm -hmm. uh, they talk about sacraments, infant baptism. They talk about. Uh, you know, Theotokos, Mary, the mother of God, real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, the office of the papacy. Uh, it's, uh, I, you know, this is why, for example, people like John MacArthur, who's respected amongst Protestant circles when he preaches, and he knows he's got a big following in the Protestant world. And when somebody's be becoming curious about reading the early church fathers, John MacArthur and others, they're fond of saying, and you don't want to read them. They're, they're the early church babies. They're the early church babies, not the early. Mm -hmm. and, and so people say, oh, John MacArthur said not to read them because they're the early church babies. Again, because he knows anybody with an open mind that will start reading the early church fathers, uh, they're going to they're gonna exit stage left just like you did. Yes. And uh, let me comment on the early church babies. Well, as everybody knows, society has basically dummied down. Uh, anybody can admit that we've all seen the interviews where they're, they're interviewing these young kids in college who don't know very basic things. Uh, the ancient world, uh, those who were educated were amazingly educated and they had brilliant minds and you can just read their writings. Uh, even going back as far as the, the, at the time of the reformation, a guy like John Calvin, you know, when he wrote the institutes of Calvin, he was like 26 years old, Jess. And when you read wow. it, I would say the average, uh, uh, college student, it, it would, everything he's writing would just blow right over their heads. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, so, so society has, uh, it's unfortunate, but well, sacred scripture, Basically, there's a principle that we can draw from it, and it, it may sound a little crude, but it's true. And you've told me this, sin makes you stupid, right? <laughs> and the longer we, uh, we, 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 we just uh, dabble with sin and, and keep sin constantly, and we see that sin and wickedness is on the increase these days, it seems like the dumber and stupider society gets. More stupid, if stupid is a word. Go ahead, Jess. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, well, well put, Paul. Uh, yeah. Here's what I would say also about the church fathers. When somebody as a Christian would, would deny the theological importance of the church fathers, uh, G.K. Chesterton calls this. He says people that snub the church fathers. He calls this. He calls this chronological historical snobbery. Hmm. Chronological historical snobbery. G.K. Chesterton. He also calls the, the church fathers. He goes, when we listen to them, we listen to the democracy of the dead, the mm. democracy of the dead. Um, again, the church fathers, they were theologians. They were known for their holiness and learning. They lived no later than the eighth century. They were both from the east and the west. And the doctors of the church, they were writers. Likewise, 
you know, they were all likewise eminent in holiness and learning. Yes. And they lived throughout the history of the church. As of now, I think there's 38 doctors of the church. There's a verse in the book of Sirach that calls us to study ancient ancient authors. It's not found in the Protestant Bible. It's in the Catholic Bible. It's, it's in Sirach 39, verse 1 and 2. It says, quote, On the other hand, he who devotes himself to the study of the law of the Most High will seek out all the wisdom of the ancient men mm. and will be discerned with prophecies. He will preserve the discourse of notable men. So yes. th chapter 39. So hey. that, that passage says, if you want to be smart, you got to study the, 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 the wise ancient men, Indeed. the ones that had this, you know, this, this notable discourse. And that's why we study the church fathers, Paul. Oh, yeah. Listen, there's another uh, uh, verse in sacred scripture that says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Right. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you something, that multitude of counselors that exists and that knowledge in the early church. Don't forget when Jesus left, he says, if I go, it's to your advantage. Talking to the apostles, he says, for I will send you the helper and he will guide you in all truth, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at the early church, we have the confidence knowing that God poured out his spirit just in abundance. Why? Because the church was immensely persecuted in the, in the first few centuries of the church. And God knows Number one, that a persecuted church is a holy church. And so, yes, uh, there are there is gold in them, their hills when it comes to the church fathers. Yes, there's an old there's an old, beautiful Catholic hymn. It's, it's one of the old, old sacred hymns. It's called Faith of Our Fathers. I'm not going to sing it because I don't want to scare you, but I'm going to just read the first paragraph. First, it's beautiful because it says it all. It says faith of our fathers living still in spite of dungeon fire and sword oh how our hearts beat high with joy whenever we hear that glorious word faith of our fathers holy faith we will be true to thee till death yes amen it's one of those what beautiful a... it's one of those beautiful classic catholic hymns uh, that people don't sing no more <laughs> yeah well again when you listen to the hymns and the content in those hymns compared to what you see now, that's a perfect example. One is filled with with uh, uh, the, the most beautiful uh, uh, the dogma and, and, and just yeah. uh, uh, substance. And today, it, it, you know, it's just all about, uh, hey, it feels good. And just put your hands in the air. And, you know, we, you know, we, I don't it's like have a to say like that. a secular rock concert. Yeah. It's like oh, yeah. a secular the, rock concert. Yeah. The choir is no longer the choir. It's it's the worship team, you know, and they're, yeah, yeah. you know, there you go. and the, anyway, um, again, folks, uh, we love the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church uh, is 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 what we need. It's the it's the it's the ark that 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 yes. God provided for us to get in and to shelter us, just like the ark of Noah. When when you know when the when when the rains came and the floods waters rose, they were safe inside the ark. And God has provided us Mother Church to make us safe. Now, does that say that everything going on in the church today is legit and good? Absolutely not, because there is a human element and there is uh, there is divine. the uh, yeah. divine element of the church, and you cannot mix the two. 
Uh, why don't you elaborate on that just a little bit? Because yeah, yeah, Paul. There. It, yeah, it's it's uh, the church is like the head, Christ. Christ is a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man at the same time. That's called a hypostatic union. Mm-hmm. That means the body of Christ, the mystical body of Christ, is divine and human as well, just like the head. The divine element is perfect. The sacraments, the prayers, the liturgy, it's perfect. The dogmas, mm. the doctrines, the human yeah. element, that's us, sinners with concupiscence, uh, you know, hypocrites. We are the imperfect, uh, you know, and, and but don't be scandalized because Jesus chose 12 apostles in the very beginning. And one of the 12 was a devil. He says it in John chapter 6, verse 68, 66. Yeah. Did I, did I, did I not choose you? Did I not, did I not choose you, the 12 and one of you is a devil. So that means even in the early church, Paul, if you look at the corruption rate, the early and the apostles, 8.3% of the apostles were corrupt in the early church. So yes. don't be surprised. And you see corruption in the body of Christ. It started right, right from the beginning. Hey, we're yes. going to talk about how not to lose your faith. There are several people, good Catholics once upon a time, that have lost their faith. Uh, Rod Dreer, Steve Skojek, and uh, Joe Shiambra. I-, I know I know them. Uh, they were on fire Catholics once upon a time, but they got too much into the negativity, into the weeds. Uh, we're going to talk about how to preserve your faith in these times of uh, confusion. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol Jesus 911, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. As, as Catholics, remember there's a part of the Mass in the Novus Ordo Mass where the priest prays, through him, with him, and in him. What does that mean? Through Jesus, with Jesus, and in Jesus. That's what it means to be Catholic. Yes. As Catholics, we've entered into the Ark of Peter. Yes. yes. The Ark is taking in water right now. It's always taken in water. Guess what you're called to do? Don't sit there and watch the water overtake the Ark of Peter. Grab a pail and start bailing out the water. That means <laughs> that means be holy and pray. All that's hands what, on deck. That's exactly it. Because the devil wants you to commit spiritual suicide. The devil wants you to, be, you to become so focused on the negative that you study your way right outside of the Catholic Church. That's yes. what Satan wants. Yes. Here's a good article written by Austin Roost, and I'll have Paul comment on it. It says, fighting the church may lead you right out of the church. Anger over long periods of time can change people and drive them away from things they previously believed and loved. It says, I do not know, I did not know until a Rod Dreher column this week that Catholic pugilist Steve Kojic, we used to go to the same parish, he was going to Latin Mass out here in Phoenix. He, he wrote for one, First Peter 5, he was the editor. Smart guy. Is now ex-Catholic pugilist Steve Skojic. Rod Dreher says Skojic is now an agnostic. He didn't even slow down and join the Orthodox Church like Rod Dreer did. He went right out the back door into disbelief. Steve Skojic says he has not attended Mass in a year. That's not like him. This guy was a, a this guy was a, I mean, he's got like eight kids. This guy was a homeschooling his kids, on fire Catholic, catechist, 
uh, editor for First Peter 5, Latin Mass guy. It says, Steve Skojic explains how he got a very raw deal at the hands of the Legion of Christ and its lay movement, Regnum Christi. I have no way of judging his heart charges, but he was very involved at the same time the Legion founder abused boys, fathered children, and plagiarized. That's Maciel Marcel, who's already gone to his <clears throat> eternal reward. Such a culture can only result in the abuse, uh, in the abuse of the rank and file. Steve Skojic describes psychological abuse. He says he was brainwashed. When he tried to leave, he was, he was the Legion of Christ all the way. He, no, 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 he, he says the Legion went all Solodinsky on him. Excuse me. So the Legion of Christ went all Solodinsky on him. Pick the target, freeze it, polarize it, personalize it, and polarize it. Cut off the support network and isolate the target from sympathy. Steve Skojic spent part of his college years at Steubenville as the legionary counter-agent. Over the next several years, Steve Skojic was quite obviously and seriously vexed about the issues in the church. Sexual abuse by priests, the liturgy, changing of doctrine, Francis, the bishops, COVID, and much else. He fought like hell. He fought and fought and fought, and then he left. Mm. Long ago, I figured Skojic would leave the church. Paul, you want to continue? And then we'll comment on this. Yeah. His story reminds me of Rod Dreyer's, uh, who spent years looking into the abyss of pre-sexual abuse. I have gone on record that Rod was right about all that, and I was wrong. But maybe where Rod did go wrong was spending so long looking into the abyss and feeding his anger, which led him to question the theological claims of the Catholic Church. He left for orthodoxy. That's the Orthodox Church he left to. Yeah. Their stories remind me of Joseph Siambra. 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 Um, yeah. A man I deeply admire. Joe spent years living in the homosexual abyss and came out of it quite damaged. He looked for succor uh, from the same church. He accuses uh, from the same church he accuses and encouraging his behavior and abetting his abuse. Understand that Joe is the guy who tries to save gay men by going into the most sexually perverse San Francisco festivals, wearing a Jesus Loves Gay Men t-shirt and handing out rosaries. Scambra tried for years to convince various churchmen that the church was allowing the rise of homosexualism in the church. He pointed to openly homosexual parishes in San Francisco and New York. He tried to convince Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles that Father James Martin ought not to be featured at the annual education conference in LA. No one would listen. I think the only bishop who formally met with him was Cardinal Burke, a meeting that I arranged. And we know Cardinal Burke is, is such a solid guy, Jess. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, he's, yeah. I, I, we'll, let's just finish this, and I want to, we, we got a lot to talk about. Okay, okay. The, the, the author writes, it seems to me that when you set, set yourself up to fight the institutional church, you run the risk of walking out the door. Make no mistake. Rod's fight was just. Yeah. Joe's fight was just. I'm not sure exactly what Steve's fight was because it seems so immense and multifaceted, but without a doubt, he believes it was just. Even so, when you set yourself up to fight the institutional church and you never give up, you run the risk of allowing your frustration and anger to lead you right out of the church. That's a good point. That last sentence yeah. was very, very, uh, very powerful. 
He yes. says, I fear the ongoing strike by the Vatican against the traditional Latin Mass may lead many into this kind of anger. Thirty years ago, I watched similar fights and similar ang anger lead men out to the church. I knew Jerry Matitix, by the way, so did I, and Tom Droleski when they were still deep, still Catholic. There is a good chance most of you will not know their names, but both were deeply involved in traditional Catholic issues back in those indult days. My friend Ken Wolf believes this cannot happen in the current day because the efforts to defend the memorial mass will happen amongst friends and fellow parishioners. For most, this will certainly be true, but I know for a fact that anger over long periods of time can change people indeed, and drive them out away from things they previously believed and loved. That, that's a very another good point. I'm going to finish the last paragraph, Paul, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. My advice for what it's worth, is for people in these fights not to be so concerned about wins and losses. Do not care quite so much. Forgive this string of platitudes. Uh, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes it rains. And then you keep trying, but without the fretting over the box scores. I know, I know, we are fighting over eternal truths that can save. Truth enough. True enough, but we must live to fight another day. We are made for the beatific vision, but on this earth, we are made for fighting. Maybe not so much that we are driven the wrong way across the Tiber. Here's the thing. Dreyer is out of the church. Skiambra is out of the church. Skoljek is out of the faith altogether. I think it would be better if we if they were still here with us, and uh, I would agree with him. Yeah, we talk about this a lot, Jess. We talk about scandal, and the scandal that goes on in the church, and we caution people: do not be scandalized. See, when you're scandalized, that basically uh, gives you so much outrage that you allow others actions to try to that to affect you so bad that it affects what you do and hip, I, and this is one thing i learned hypocrisy never nullifies the truth you see if i'm a hypocrite you can say boy paul clay he's a hypocrite okay uh but does it does that mean that if i'm speaking truth that the truth is somehow untrue no, it doesn't. It just means that, like you said, Jess, one day I'm going to have an ex exit interview with Jesus Christ. And guess what? Uh, to whom much is given, much is required. Yeah, that's all that means. You know, Paul, there, there's a great story of a young holy priest. I forget the priest's name. I'm going to have to do some de uh, I'm going to have to search into my archives. But he was asked by his bishop to go to a certain parish and help a, a certain older unholy priest. The unholy priest was an alcoholic. He was bad. He embezzled church funds. He had a mistress. So this young holy priest, he tried to help the senior pastor, this unholy senior pastor, by setting a good example for him. But he says, man, it doesn't work. So one day this young holy priest tried talking to him, to his pastor, shaming him, even screaming at him, but nothing worked. So he finally gave up, packed his bags to leave, and he made one last visit to the tabernacle. He walked in the church and he said, I'm sorry, Lord, I failed. And now I'm leaving. 
So this young holy priest turned and walked down the aisle. Then from the altar, he heard a voice, the voice of Christ in the tabernacle said to him, I'm stained. Here's the moral of the story. No matter how many corrupt clergy there are, I'm stained. I'm, I just remember I'm stained. No matter how many liberal, modernist, dissenter, cafeteria Catholics there are, I'm stained. No matter how many leave the kingdom of God on earth, guess what? I'm stained. Amen. Because outside the Catholic Church, there is no Holy Eucharist. And the Eucharist is Jesus Christ. And outside of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. Preach it, I brother. I cannot leave the Catholic Church. I'll tell you why. That's where Jesus lives and dwells. Okay? Yes. I'm not one of those Catholics who assumes that the church is to be e equated with popes and bishops and councils. Yeah, of course. They obviously play a role in articulating the, the deposit of faith and condemning errors. I get that. But, but their role, the popes and bishops and priests, they have a supporting role. They're not the star of the show. That's right. Jesus is that morning star. Amen. He's the star Amen. of the show. And again, Amen. sometimes our church, our clergy, sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they can fail in the responsibilities. But in the best of times, we can and should trust the shepherds. But at the worst of times, such as ours right now, their dereliction or apostasy, it becomes apparent and undeniable. Yes. But, but nonetheless, okay, the Bible says, do not put your trust in princes. Do not put your trust in men. We pray for them. We've, we listen to them when they teach us the deposit of faith. But our faith, hope, and love is in the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and no one else. Amen. Amen, Jesus amen. Lord, we're going to continue this conversation talking about um, how to find a good spiritual director. We'll talk about that next. Jesus 911. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, what does that mean? It means, God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Psalm 69, verse 2. That's why we call the show Jesus 911. Because all 8 billion people of us on planet Earth need Jesus Christ more than we need our next breath of air. Paul, here's just kind of a sidebar real quick before we get back onto the topic. Yeah. Um, this is not going to surprise you. I've got my ALADS paper here, the dispatcher. They just sent it from the LA Sheriff's Department as a retiree. It says that West Hollywood is going to defund some of the, the Sheriff's Department's budget. They're going to cut four deputy sheriff positions from the street at a time right now when, when crime is rising in LA County. West Hollywood is going to get rid of uh, four, four patrol cars on the street as if they were already not thin enough, Paul. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, 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 Jess. And stop right there. Sin makes you stupid. Isn't that what I said? <laughs> <laughs> right? In other words, listen, when you are inundated with sin, and let's face it, West Hollywood, for those of you who don't know, is a city that uh, is essentially run by the gay community is essentially, they, they do everything catered to the homosexual community. Um, so uh, in, their, in all their wisdom, you know, they decide they want to cut 
law enforcement resources, as Jesse said, at a time such as this, at a time where crime is rampant, at a time when civil unrest is rising, oh, we're just going to cut those resources again. Sin makes you stupid. That's the principle. And it does. And you know what? If the truth offends you, you need to be offended. Now, I always yeah. say that, and it's true. You connect the dots. Paul, good article you send me. It's called uh, Five Traits of a Spiritual Director You Didn't Expect. And it's got five points. I think I want to just, we, we want to develop point number one. A good spiritual director has their own spiritual director. In order to guide someone along the spiritual pathway, a good spiritual director needs to have his own guide as well. The point of seeking spiritual direction is to provide oneself with an objective point of view. As the old proverb puts it, uh, no one is no one is a good judge in their own case. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, for those of you that live here in the Phoenix area, I give spiritual direction every Wednesday. I got a men's group. I get from 50 to 80 people there. And I give the guy spiritual direction. That's p- specifically what I do every Wednesday. And I give it to you with a Bible in my hand. You Amen. get biblical spiritual direction every Wednesday from 7 to 8.30 with Jess Romero at Our Lady Guadalupe Church from 7 to 8.30 p.m. And yes, I do have a spiritual director who is orthodox and holy. Paul, want to jump on the next one? Yes. You may have thought that strictly based on his vocation, your parish priest would be your best candidate as a spiritual director. While most priests, even religious, have some training in giving spiritual counsel, Further formational training may be needed in order to become a well-trained spiritual director. It is a best practice for a spiritual director to receive the go-ahead from his pastor before he begins guiding others. That gives the pastor a chance to vouch for the spiritual director's training, as well as providing the parish with a resource of parishioners who may be seeking spiritual direction. Point number three. Point number three, a good spiritual director is not there to make decisions for you. A good spiritual director is not your own personal great decider. Look for someone who doesn't impose, but can guide so that you can make a decision. The spiritual director's role is not to dictate what should be done, but to help you discern the promptings of the Holy Spirit and to hear God's voice. (coughs) The relationship is ultimately between you and God. Amen. And point number four, a good spiritual director has suffered. It is quite helpful and almost imperative to find someone who is familiar with suffering, as suffering is inescapable in the life of a Christian who wants to follow in Christ's footsteps. Amen. Uh, A good spiritual director is someone who has been transformed by suffering into Christ's image. Someone fit to be a good spiritual director is someone who has experienced suffering, a person who has been forged by the suffering God has permitted in his life, a person who has come to see that suffering does not mean being rejected by God, but instead it's a grace and a sign of Christ's confidence in them. That's that. That was point number four. Point number five. Yes. uh, Point number five. A good spiritual director is a person of prayer. Ultimately, make sure your spiritual director is a person of prayer with a deep spiritual life. No one can share what they themselves don't have. What might a deep spiritual life look like? Visiting Jesus in adoration, attending Mass frequently, perhaps even daily, 
The night spiritual director reserves times daily for spiritual prayer or meditation. Or the right, excuse me, the right spiritual director reserves time daily for spiritual prayer or meditation. They had read, they have read some of the masters of the spiritual life like Teresa of Lisieux, Teresa of Avila, or John of the Cross. They also have a relationship with the Blessed Mother, our best intercessor, and may frequently pray the rosary or other Marian devotion. Feel free to ask a potential spiritual director what their spirituality consists of. Uh, so those are, those are five excellent, excellent suggestions. The articles put out by D- Divine University, Divine, Univer- Divine Mercy University, which is one of those few Catholic Orthodox uh, universities around the country. And uh, again, there's spiritual direction is, is for what? It's for growth in the interior life. That's right. what it's for. Spiritual direction is for growth in the interior life. Yes, yes. We and want, why do we talk? Yeah. Go ahead, Jess. No, yeah, why? We, why? why <laughs> go ahead. Sorry go ahead. about that. No, why we want to talk about this is because we just did an article on you know uh, you know the battles and 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 the casualties of war that are suffered when fighting these battles. And if you don't have a deep uh, interior life, if you don't yes. uh, draw from that deep wellspring that you know that that, that Jesus has for us, uh, you will become a casualty of war. Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, spiritual direction, as as the name implies, it uh, it's primarily it's primarily about your interior life or your spiritual life. It's about our relationship with God and how to Amen. grow in our relationship with God. And Amen. it's also the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And sometimes through conversation with a wise Christian, with a wise spiritual director, uh, they're not going to tell you what to do. But, I mean, they're going to give you good principles. And they're going to give you the ability just to to, to connect the dots in your own life. Mm-hmm. Because in, in spiritual direction... It's, uh, you know, it, it's not a psychology session. It's not a therapeutic session. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, it's spiritual direction. It's to work on your interior life. Yes, yes. It's, it, it's, to, it's, to, it's to order your interior life based on God's plans and his designs. And, it's, uh, and, and spiritual direction is also, it's meant to help us grow in our love for God growing our service for God and ultimately to enjoy eternity in heaven with God and the saints. Uh, so spiritual direction, it was, it was spiritual direction does it tweaks. It, it gives us that 2020 vision that a, a lot of us seem to lose. We start getting kind of spiritual cataracts. Spiritual direction right. helps us retain that 2020 vision so that we keep our eye towards eternity and we can lead others on the right path as well. Yes, listen, it's drawn from the principle just iron sharpens iron, right? Uh, You know, and and, and as sacred scripture tells us, let every man work out his salvation in fear and trembling. You see, a good spiritual director is not going to tell you what to do because he, number one, he knows that the Holy Spirit uh, will, 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 you know, who is actively working in your life may be taking you in a different direction. But he, like just said, He's there to reinforce spiritual principles and all, you know, that's why it's important to understand spiritual principles. Uh, We talked about, uh, we mentioned how a good spiritual director has undergone suffering. Why? 
because sacred scripture tells us that those who live godly in Christ Jesus or those that aspire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The enemy is alive and well. There's a big target on your back. And Jesus says, you know, but don't worry because he has conquered. He has overcome the world. Don't worry about the world. Don't worry about what you see, even though it, you know, we see the enemy is no longer at the gates, but he may have even breached the wall. They may be pouring in and all might look lost. But guess what, Jess? It's like the apostles when they were in the Sea of Galilee and the spiritual, the, the tempest was just, you know, crazy and the sea was raging and they said, Jesus, wake up, you know, save us, Lord, save us. And Jesus is like, you know, you guys, little faith, be still. And guess what? It was still. Everything is under the control of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead, that's, Jess. That's right. Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants followers. Jesus wants completely committed followers. Jesus Man. doesn't want cheerleaders. He wants gladiators. Yes, I said that. Yes, we live say it by again, faith. <laughs> yeah, Jesus doesn't want cheerleaders. He wants gladiators. We live by faith in Christ who has acted and therefore will see that action to the very last day until he comes back. And the decisive battle was already won 2,000 years ago on Calvary. We are now living... We're just engaged in mop-up operations. Pip, pick up your mop and let's clean up the mess. That's right. Because we know that the greatest of all miracles is what Christ does even today to the souls of men when he turns them by the power of his gospel from darkness to light. And as Jesus promised, from the power of Satan to the bosom of God the Father, Jesus Christ is not a myth. He exists. His presence can be felt. He's a reality now, today. And you know what the unanswerable argument is to Christianity? The unanswerable argument is the transformation of the soul from darkness to light. Why? Because he lives. John 14, Amen. 19. Because he lives, we will live also. And yes. let this verse be your strength. Mark chapter Amen. 9, verse 8. The Bible says, suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Yeah. Did he it catch that? Mark yeah. 9. They, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone except Jesus. As my dying father told me in Spanish from home hospice, he says, Son, when Jesus is all you have, you realize that Jesus is all you ever needed. Amen. Amen. Reminds me of an old song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow, Jess. Yes. 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 Because he lives, all fear is gone. And life is worth the living because he lives. Jesus 911, that's a wrap. We are 10-7 EOW end of watch up next. Gary Machuda, the big guy, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for us, we are out. We love you, family. Thanks for tuning into the show. We ha we get a kick doing the show every single week, me and Paul. Uh, we love you, family, BNPR family. God bless you. Keep the faith. Yep.